It's Tuesday, October 30th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast. Daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, I had the opportunity to speak and participate in a panel at the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission National Conference in Dallas, Texas on October 11th through 13th. While at the conference, I was able to sit down with adoptive father and senior VP for the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Dr. Randy Stinson. I hope you enjoy this time that I spent with Dr. Stinson. Well, I am privileged to be joined by Dr. Randy Stinson, and Dr. Stinson is a senior vice president at the Southern Theological, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And he and his wife, Dana, are the proud parents of eight children. And we are just so grateful to have Dr. Stinson join us. He is a, a regular speaker at many conferences on the subject of parenting and marriage and men's leadership. He's also the co-author of A Guide to Biblical Manhood, and if you've not read this volume, it is so good and was so helpful. I remember I read that just shortly after my son Caleb was born, and it has just been such a good reminder of things. It's just growing up boys and thinking about manhood. He's also the co-editor of Trained in the Fear of God, Family Ministry in Theological, Historical, and Practical Perspectives. Uh, He enjoys hunting and fishing, and he encourages children in their pursuit of baseball, tennis, and lacrosse. And I know sports is a big part of the Stinson family. Absolutely. Uh, Theology and sports. And so uh, we're here actually at the ERLC National Conference. And one of the things you just said actually in your presentation, Dr. Stinson, that I thought was so good was as parents, we need to have high expectations of our children, but we need to have fun with them. Right. Because high expectations without any fun is oppression. Yes. And so talk a little bit, I guess, just first off about as you've been training parents and as you train and speak even to future pastors about this whole idea of a family, what is the what are the aspects of having a peaceful family? Yeah, well, some of the one of the key aspects is recognizing that the husband-wife relationship and whether or not that relation, that that the husband and wife are rightly related to one another is the key to a peaceful home. So if they're not rightly related to one another, uh, the children uh, do not, are are not peaceful. Uh, They're disrupted in their soul. And many times, especially at younger ages, they're not able to explain why they're so disrupted in their soul, but it's because they have not seen their parents rightly relating to each other. Um, Some of the other things involved would be um, an emphasis on forgiveness uh, in the home. Uh, If you're a Christian, uh, at the heart of the gospel is forgiveness of sin. And if it is at the heart of the gospel, then it should be at the heart of the home. We're in a fallen world. uh, And and because we're in a fallen world, we're going to sin against one another in the home. And the more people you have in your home, the more opportunity for sin there is. And even if you have a small family, husband and wife and two children, uh, the sin quotient is quadrupled uh, from when you were single. And so uh, because that is true, then we need to be people that are regularly and, and immediately asking for forgiveness and then being willing to immediately grant a forgiveness when it's asked of us. Uh, some of the other keys is between children One of the challenges that parents face is they don't want their kids to be rivalrous with one another. So sibling rivalry is a peace killer in the home. And a lot of parents just assume it has to be that way, but it actually doesn't. Mm. And uh, one of the the things about 
the Christian life and about how God himself doles out gifts and even material things is that he does it at his at his own discretion and there's inequity everywhere and what parents try parents try to create equity so that there's no rivalry but what they're actually doing is cultivating the covetousness they're trying to eliminate because the kids sense an entitlement when little johnny gets a candy bar the little susie gets a candy bar when johnny gets a pair of shoes susie gets a pair and so what what i think is important as parents is to emphasize the inequity mm. and to create and cultivate inequity, create moments of inequity to point out to your children, this is life mm. and this is how it's going to be. And uh, when I drive up in the parking lot at church, um, there are people with BMWs and Mercedes Benzes and Corvettes. And I got to tell you, when I was 16, I thought I'd be driving a Corvette by now. <laughs> now I realize that's a 16 year old thinking, but my point is, I'm not driving one and somebody else is, and I need to be able to rejoice in that mm. and be able to rejoice when those who re with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's at the health of a church and that it's, that's at the health, a center of health and peace in the home. So those are a few things. Yes. And I know for you and Dana, like you said, you have eight children. And so having a peaceful home with eight kids obviously is always a challenge. Sure. But then you throw in that so many of your children have entered in the home through adoption. Right. And as we'll talk about in a minute, some of them even from extenuating circumstances mm -hmm. through adoption. Yeah. So first, just talk about how did you and Dana get led to grow your family through adoption? Well, even when we were dating and certainly after we were engaged and this thing was going to happen and we were going to get married and then, then even more so, of course, after we got married, we had always talked about adopting. We, we didn't know anything about it. We really didn't know very many people who had adopted it was you know back in the very early 90s and uh, we wanted to we were pro-life uh, we felt like it was a way to put our money where our mouth was if we were going to uh, advocate for women not having abortions then we thought we should be in line so to speak and be able to help these women who do go forward and give birth to these babies but still have no ability uh, to take care of them. And so that was our, our motive. It may, it may sound simple. It is a very complicated thing. Adoption is, but, um, we were, we were motivated, motivated by that. We did understand in a rudimentary way back in those days in our, in our early twenties that even then gospel, the gospel and adoption were, were connected in adoption, the doctrine of adoption and in, in the gospel and so those were the things that motivated us to even want to do it. Um, and then we had, we had twins, and then uh, we had a, a, a singlet, I guess as you call it. <laughs> and uh, and we, we sat down when, when our third child was about six or five, and we just said, well, when do you do this? Yeah. And we didn't know. And we just said, well, we probably ought to do it now if we're ever going to do it. And we didn't have any limit on how many times we would do it. We just, over the years, have just walked through doors that God has, that we believe God has opened. And we're confident about that even now. And so that those were the, the early conversations that led us to it. Um, like I said, it was a little bit before it was cool, if, if you don't mind me saying yeah, it that no, way. Yeah. Um, but we're so thankful we, we, we jumped in and, um, and yeah, so that's kind of what led us to yeah. it in the first place. And I know you have some atypical adoption stories as well. And one of the oh. things I love about the testimony of your family 
is that y'all have been a safe haven for so mm. many kids. Mm. Um, and I know that even through your your family, y'all have helped children that, that aren't children of yours now, that you've, right. they've right. passed through your home, that you've been a safe haven. And yeah. unfortunately, some families have entered into adoption and then decided they couldn't continue in that adoption journey. Right. <clears throat> and so they've disrupted their adoption and your family has now home. You have children right. that have come into your home through disrupted adoption. So uh, talk about just the complexities of a disrupted adoption and kind of how y'all, your family, you and Dana especially got into saying, hey, we can be a permanent home for these children. Right. So let's see, years ago, we, we were already planning on adopting again. We'd already we had three biological children. We had adopted two daughters from Taiwan and we had them for several years and things seemed to be going well. And about um, 11 years ago, I got a call from a friend. It's a long story. There's a family that adopted this little girl from China. Uh, had, they'd had her for a year. The elders of this church had tried to work it out. It was, it just wasn't working. And, um, it, it, you know, in a fallen world, things are complicated. Right. And, uh, all sorts of sin patterns are possible. All sorts of types of sin are possible. And sometimes relationships don't work the right way. And so I want to be as generous and as uh, sensitive as possible to the families that have been involved in our, our adoptions. But it just wasn't working out for this right. family. And so we found out about this on a Monday night, met with a family on a Tuesday night, met with people in the capital of Kentucky on Wednesday, Thursday, we met with attorneys and had legal custody Saturday morning. Wow. And um, it was, it was a disruption in every sense of the word mm. uh, disruption in the sense of the challenges that the original family was having disruptive in the sense of this little girl, it was two and a half all of a sudden is in another home mm. Uh, not knowing where she was. She was very down and out. I, I don't want to say depressed because that, that, that sounds more clinical. She was just down in the dumps oh, yeah. uh, and um, was disoriented in the sense of she just didn't realize what was happening and it's hard to explain to her. So, um, you know, what it, it is complicated and it does cause hardships. And I'll be the first one to say, you know, adoption is not for everybody. Mm. Um, people tell me, you know, do, do I believe in adoption ministry? What I believe in is orphan care ministry because adoption isn't for everybody. We, we have three children in our home that were adopted by people who actually should not have done it in the right. first place. And so a few years later, something similar with another child was in a home and it wasn't working out. And then another few years later, mm -hmm. our most recent uh, adoption was five years ago and a young young boy that had a lot of challenges and family didn't mm -hmm. didn't work out. And uh, so this isn't common for one family to have this many because it's just, it, it, there's no, there's no club we were a part of uh, and no organization, but it is more and more common. Right. And so I, I'd love to speak to that part. If yeah, you, if please you have do. A chance. Yeah. yeah. Just, just give some advice for, for families. How would you counsel families who are considering adoption, even just to, to think through this piece because we don't we don't want to wittingly bring children into families yes. and in turn disrupt that, yes. that adoption. Okay, so what I'm a big advocate of now, based on our expense experience and what I speak on most often now in terms of the adoption community, is 
um, helping people think through why they're adopting. Right. Um, years and years ago, uh, Christians recognized that the divorce rate, rate was rising in our churches. And one of the things they did to help curb that is most good churches today, if there's a young couple that wants to get married in the church, they'll go through some premarital counseling, mm -hmm. help them understand what to anticipate, how to handle conflict, how to handle in-laws, just some typical things that are challenges for couples. What we're advocating is some form of pre-adoption counseling mm -hmm. where people that have adopted, that have walked through it a good while can put together some time with a, a prospective adoptive couple and help walk them through uh, what this could look like. Mm. What are the challenges? Uh, why are you, why, what are the motives? Mm. Uh, there are some really uh, good reasons to adopt and there are bad reasons mm. to adopt. Uh, if a lot of people in your church are adopting, the temptation is overwhelming to, mm. to, to jump. You know, people will say, well, jump in the deep end. Well, I've never jumped in the deep end. I've, I've walked in the water uh, with my toe first and walked down the steps and uh, I've been in many pools. Uh, and I, you know, especially when I was learning to swim, I'm, I, you don't, most people don't just jump in the deep end if they That's think true. about it. They've, God has been faithful to them in the small things and they grow in their faith. And so um, another reason is to fit in uh, with the culture of your church. Uh, sometimes People just feel guilty. Mm -hmm. uh, they see a child and hear about a child and they think they, they ought to do it. Uh, one of the most common reasons that people adopt for the wrong reason is because they think it's going to help their marriage. You know, they they uh, have a rallying point. They're all doing paperwork. They're talking to social workers and they're praying for this kid. And then they get pictures. And mm -hmm. it's a it's such a long process. It 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 makes it feel like this husband and wife are growing closer together, but it's false. Right. And usually what happens when the kid gets in the home, then they go back to their old patterns and it, uh, it causes a challenge between the parent, the, the husband and wife. And it's some, sometimes it causes resentment with one or both of the parents that this kid is in here now and it didn't help the marriage. It actually made it a little worse because of the added burdens and challenges of adoption. So we would just say, don't don't have expectations that this kid is going to you're going to bring this kid from another country and they're going to show up and be immediately grateful because you bought them a pair of Nikes and a, gave them their own bedroom. I mean, that that's sweet and nice. And those are good things to do. But those don't mean as much to that kid as you think they do. And they can't mean as much to that kid. You just ripped them away from everything they knew, even if you're doing something better for them than they had. And so. Um, we've had kids that wouldn't, didn't even tell us they loved us for years. Mm. And uh, we just had to say, okay, uh, yeah. this is where we're at. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't sign up for this for a feel good. Uh, because if you do it for a feel good, that goes away like in the first week. Like almost everything else in life, right? Even a new car. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's the, 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 the feel good doesn't last and, and it's not supposed to. We're in a fallen world and it's work. It's love, and love is sacrificial. And so um, what, what I would say to, to families that are challenged right now with a kid, that they're having a hard time loving them, or I would say what we've observed over the years is that families wait too late to get help. Yeah. They try to do it on their own. 
uh, and they wait until there's an us against the kid mentality. And I've seen this over and over and over. And whoever's listening to this and you are challenged, I would beg you, uh, call Lifeline, uh, call your pastor, uh, call somebody who's adopted and has been down the road a ways. There, there, there are ways to have conversations about this, but if you wait until it's too late, it creates such an entrenched uh, rejection of this child that would have been was is unnecessary now, but wouldn't have been completely unnecessary. So do not wait. Uh, there are people that can help, and there are ways out in terms of just helping you adjust to a a kid in your home and things you didn't think through. Right. So. Yeah, and I think just even to that, a couple things that come to mind is, you know, we have a physical issue that's that's glaringly obvious. We don't wait to go get that checked out. But yet a lot of times we have these issues and we need counsel, we need mentor, we need someone to speak into it, and we wait too yeah. long. And then just on a personal standpoint, you know, I've been leading this ministry for 15 years and a lot of people look at Ashley and I and say, why haven't y'all adopted or why, mm-hmm. why aren't y'all fostering? And you know, part of our personal story is five years ago, we actually did foster two kids and were asked to adopt those kids. And the eight weeks there in our home, five of those weeks I was traveling. Mm. My wife has chronic health disease or right. health problems. And she right. said, we can't do this unless you're going to be off the road right. a lot more. Right. And so you have to really think because kids are not a project. You're making a lifelong right. commitment to these children. And I love what you said. It doesn't need to be a fad. It doesn't need to be because everyone else is doing it. God has called us to care for orphans, but he hasn't called us all to adopt right. or to foster. That's correct. Um, and so one of the things that I think, too, even going into some of those motivations, and you talk a lot about biblical manhood, but a lot of times as men, we're not taking the active role of leading our families. And so a lot of times our wives may come with a desire and we even there's a passivity among men to say, well, that's what she wants to do. We'll do it but we're not all sold in, or we allow the, the wife to lead our family and how we do care for the vulnerable. Right. Talk a little bit about the responsibility of men to lead their family in caring for the vulnerable. Well, throughout the scriptures, men, uh, in, in particular passages for sure, but just the warp and woof of scripture, men are called to lead, provide, and protect. And it's the provision and protection instincts that God has given us that in the gospel uh, are redeemed and honed and sanctified that should drive us to to not just provide and protect for our own children and our wives. That certainly is mm-hmm. part of that. But just, just overall, uh, when Adam and Eve were given uh, the command to exercise dominion and subdue the earth, they're both given the same command. Uh, but in Genesis 2 and 3, you see that they're given different roles and responsibilities in exercising that subduing the earth and exercising dominion. Now, in a fallen world, uh, it has its own challenges and sin has impacted everything from motives and desires to poor practices and putting things into place that don't belong there. But it is still true that men should lead out in this area. And by what by that, let me say what I don't mean. I don't mean a man should go home and tell his wife, we're adopting. Yeah. Um, that's, that's not what I mean. I want to be loud and clear about that. This is a decision made by a husband and wife, but incur- maybe, maybe initiated by the husband. And even if not initiated, uh, I know plenty of men, their wives came home and said, I just heard this and saw this and went to this. We really ought to consider adoption. 
And it's that at that point where a husband says, well, I hadn't thought of it, but let me see if I can get my hands around it. Let's have conversations. And he calls other adoptive dads and others and finds out that the biggest question that men have is, can I love a kid that is not mm -hmm. biologically related to me? And women don't have that difficulty as often because they're just naturally nurturing. Right. And, uh, and that's the most common question. And it's good and right for men to ask questions about what is this like? Can I do this? Mm -hmm. Talk to other men that have done it. But then eventually own it. Right. Own it. Not again, not exclusively own it, but get on board so that you you're you're now driving the, the right. boat, uh, not because again, not against your wife's will, but because she either brought it up or you're you're just equally excited about it. It doesn't. I'm just telling you, it does not work if both husband and wife are not equally excited about it. And the husband eventually says, OK, let mm -hmm. me let me lead out in this and let me be the chief encouragement officer here, <laughs> the chief proponent. Now, I do want to say a word. And again, every family and every husband and wife have to work this out. Um, I want to be clear, especially as a shout out to my wife. My wife did 99% of the paperwork. <laughs> and when I say 99%, my signature I'm counting is the 1% on, on multiple pages. So that may not be how you have to do it. You're, there may be a diff different division of labor, but I, I don't want to communicate and I don't want to be dishonest about our own situation. I Believe me, I was the first one there cheering the whole way, encouraging my wife, uh, championing this entire thing. But I, I did not have the time mm -hmm. to do a lot of the paperwork. And so everybody has to come up with their own division of labor. But what I don't want a man or a woman to think that being a champion of this means you're doing all the, all the, all the details. That would have been impossible in our scenario, at, at, even until, up till now. Right. So. Well, I also know that you guys have had children come into your home that have had certain special needs. Mm -hmm. You have eight kids, and then you've had kids from disruption and kids that have some form of special need. Uh, and I guess just in closing, talk about the importance of adoptive, an adoptive family of the marriage and why that is so important. Because most people would look and go, there's no way I could take care of eight kids. Then with the, some of the complexities your family has had, talk about why that marriage is so essential for this working. Okay, so first of all, thank you for bringing up this topic. Number one, I'm not on a crusade about having a large family. It has worked for us. Um, I always tell people, just like uh, people have a financial budget and there's, there's just a certain amount of, so if I told you, look, I've got $300 at the end of every month left over and I just found out I can buy a lake house for the payment of 295 <laughs> you would you should tell me don't yeah. do that <laughs> because you don't want to you don't want to give up all your margin financially right. you want to have a cushion and so I always say people Christian godly Christians still have uh, emotional uh, budget and, and limitations uh -huh. if, if you if you will and so um, so you don't want to budget and use up all your emotional margin. So you have to decide, and that's harder to measure than dollars and cents, but you do have to decide how much more do we emotionally have to give. Um, my wife and I happen to have a, a God-given capacity here. Mm. My wife in particular, yeah. okay? So she's she has emotional capacity, like some of the smarter people in your life have intellectual capacity. Right. You just look at him and say, all right, that's not, I'm sure they had good teachers, but there was something going on there before the teachers ever got involved. And so 
a, a couple and a family have to ask themselves, how much margin do we have? We don't want to use it all up. And so large families that way. And then what types of children with what types of special needs do we think we can have? I, I am one for sure to not tell people that I'm not going to guilt somebody in to taking on mm. a child that has needs that are beyond them in mm. terms of their capacities. And so uh, we added a, a, a young man into our home. He was seven years old. We've had him for five years. He has, some people have way worse challenges. Uh, he's got a lot of medical challenges. Mm. Um, he has uh, got a pituitary blockage. He's, he was born with spinal bifida. He's got all sorts of things last year alone. So we're, we're in uh, almost to the end of 2018. In 2017, he had five brain surgeries, mm. a spinal cord detethering, two foot surgeries, and a hip surgery that left him in a body cast for four months. Now, we didn't know, I mean, we knew he had medical challenges when we adopted him five years ago, but we did not know <laughs> <laughs> that we were gonna have that year. And I want everybody to know, including my son Brewer, if he ever hears this, I would do it all over again. Right. But if you're the type of person that everything has to work out for you, this isn't for you. Right. I would I would argue you should help somebody adopt. Right. Uh, th this is not for folks that everything has to work out. I am a type A person, but I have big room in my theology for all sorts of things that don't make sense, right. that don't always work out. And so um, there are real challenges with somebody with, with physical, medical needs. Uh, and I don't want to be uh, too uh, materialistic here, but it costs a lot of money. Right. It just costs a lot yeah. of money. And there are things that our family happily has not done and will not do, be able to do, and I don't care right. uh, about it. Uh, but we had to be prepared for the fact that there are sacrifices and things we mm. aren't going to be able to do and places we're not going to be able to go. But uh, uh, this young man and all of our children, and particularly our adopted children, have done way more for us. Uh, in terms of our walk with Christ and our sanctification. And I don't want to be overly spiritual and just how we care mm -hmm. about people and how we relate to one another and how we relate to other people that have, have enormous needs. Uh, we are all the better, way better. We're better off, way better off than these kids are in terms of mm -hmm. us being able to give them a home. Amen. Well, Dr. Stinson, we're so grateful that you made the time. Mm, my what pleasure. great words. And I, I just, to leave to... I would say to anyone that feels like the Lord could be leading them into adoption, your words of counsel, make sure you're getting counsel. Mm -hmm. And I think even, I love what you said, ask people that know you the best yes. if they think that they see this calling yes. in your life yeah. as well. Yeah. And we yeah. would do that before we would go overseas. Any, any we would do that decision. with any other decision, yeah. uh, but we don't do it with this decision because yeah. you're not just deciding to go and buy a plane ticket, move your family overseas. Right. You're changing the life and the orientation of a child. Yeah. And it's a huge, huge decision. And Correct. so what a great, what a great word. Mm. And to know that while the word calls us explicitly to care, it doesn't all call us to care in the same way. Exactly. Well, thank yep. you for your ministry, both at the seminary, mm. in pleasure. your family, and in so many ways. And we thank you for joining us. My pleasure. I'm all mine. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, if you know God to use the gospel to impact the life of a child, please contact us because we are here to 
Defend the Fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.